0: Welcome to the Critical Futures Podcast. It's critical because the time is now to conjure the world and communities we want to live and thrive in. But it's also futurity or the intentional imagining and materializing of liberated futures where freedom from oppression, trauma, violence, and discrimination are realized. In this series, The Future Of, we chat with experts in various sectors to learn about what they are doing To shift the critical now for a radical new future. I am Dr. Amber Johnson, Executive Director of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity, and I will be your host for this episode. Welcome. Welcome to the Critical Futures Podcast. Today we are talking about the future of trans organizing with with one of the most amazing and prolific organizations of my generation, the Ripley Marie Bennett. Ripley Marie Bennett is a proud, self-taught illustrator, actor, writer, and singer born and raised in Ohio. Her organizing work started with the Trans Women of Color Collective and expanded in Ferguson, where she was a freedom writer traveling to stand with Mike Brown's family and community. Ripley's work expresses the perseverance, power, strength, resilience, grace, and beauty of trans women. Her work sheds light on the lack of national outcry over the epidemic of Black trans women murdered each year at the hands of state-sanctioned violence. Ripley's art has been in numerous social justice flyers and made its first film debut in Major, a documentary at the 2015 San Francisco Transgender Film Festival. Her art graces the cover of Cross Currents and pays homage to trans-affirming, radical imagination designed to liberate the gendered body the critical and creative participation. Ripley is also the co-founder and outreach coordinator for THORN, an organization that provides self-defense tools for Black and Brown trans folks. Ripley, I am so honored to have you on our show today. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. So let's start off with THORN. This is one of your latest projects, do we call this a project? Is it an initiative? Is it a movement? Whatever it is, it is big and it is really important.
1: Tell us about it. Well, it starts from a need. You know, that's where a lot of the work that I do comes from. It starts from a need. Um, when you recognize a need, you try your best to fulfill that need. Um, Thorn started back in 2020. Yeah, 2020. I met someone who was giving away self-defense care kits on Instagram and they were personally giving out their own uh, self-defense kits to black and brown trans folks. Um, So I hit them up and I said, hey, come on through. I'd like to, uh, I'd like one of your kits. They came over, they were just down the street from me. And we had a conversation about furthering that work. Um, And their name is Rachel. Rachel is my, co-founding partner. We've been working with Thorne and um, delivering kits free of charge to black and brown trans folk all across the U.S. ever since. Wonderful.
0: So tell me about these kits.
1: Well, inside the kit, you will receive a baton, a taser, a pocket knife, a flashlight, a personal alarm, a coloring book, an instruction guide, and some coloring pencils.
0: Now, knowing your work and knowing how you enter this work, I am completely sure as to why you included coloring books and pencils and art supplies. But for our audience who might not be so familiar, first of all, tell us why these self-defense tools are important.
1: But then tell us why you included art in the mix. To be honest, I got tired of seeing viral videos of Black trans women being jumped by hundreds or or tens of however many people and nobody standing up for them. And I got tired of hearing a hashtags black trans women not making their way home. And I wanted to be sure that all my bitches came home regardless. So I was, I was kind of stuck a little depressed and very, very focused goal oriented, but I didn't know what the goal was going to be. And then here comes someone offering self-defense care tools. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, that sounds like something we could do. So that's how it kind of happened. I mean, like I said, it comes from a lack and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I was frustrated. And so why art? Art has always been a part of the way that I understand the world as a black, trans, queer person. It's, it's very important for me to be able to express myself in ways that I can visualize you know i i don't just look at the world as black and white of course all this color and blase blase but art has always been a way for me to understand some of the darker points in life and to find joy in every single moment that's why art
0: yes so in this sense art then becomes not just a tool and a bucket of, of tools to take care of one. So, but really a portal, a portal forward, a portal to a different kind of future. So on this, on this podcast, we called it Critical Futures and we called it that because we want to have conversations that are critically hopeful, right? So they, they reflect what is happening with the sensibility pointed towards the future what will happen. And I know for you, something that really shows up in all of your work is this liminal space beyond our now that paves the way for an alternative future. And that really is the definition of critical future. So when you hear
1: the term critical futures, what do you, what comes to mind? I think of the valley instantly. The valley where trans folk and queer folk are not ostracized, their bodies aren't politicized, they aren't continuously berated, tossed away, silenced. They have a voice, they're held in love, they're seen, they're uplifted, they're understood, and they're protected. I see the valley. I love that.
0: And and again, something that drives me to your work is your incessant a meticulous choice to never center anyone but your people. You are not centering the gaze of those who other you. You are not centering the politicians who write bills every day to push you further and further into the cracks. You are not centering cis folks who would rather see you suffer than just accept the fact that gender is flimsy. It always has been flimsy. And you're not centering folks who are just ignorant, who choose to use their platforms to spew hate when they have no idea what they're talking about. I appreciate of that about you so much. You center your experience and the experience of your Black and brown trans siblings in ways that cast nothing but just a net of light and love and, and reality too, right? And so, Thorne, I love the name. I love the mission. I love how you approach it, right? Like, we will bring these things to you. And for me, that captures what healing justice is. It's not just saying, here's what you need. It's saying, I'm going to get it for you. And I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to utilize it, right? There's no barriers to using this thing you need. Um, but now I want to shift and look at some of your art and how you decenter establishment and really focus on your, your siblings, right. And how you all show up in these spaces of love. So talk to me about some of your art projects. I know you got, you got children's books, you have comic streams, you have, you have painted and and illustrated art. You have so much, not to mention your vocals, (laughs) not to like, you are such a talented person. Talk to me about what inspired you to create art? Um, what inspires your children's book
1: stories? And, and share with me some of those stories. Well, when I was younger, I liked to write stories um, that centered my friends. My friends were always Black and queer, and, you know, gay or trans. We were always on the spectrum of other. Um, so I would always write these stories um, that centered us. You know, um, people were busy reading Harry Potter in middle school. I was busy writing my own story that centered Black queer folk. Um, so moving forward, I wanted to do that for the younger generation, because as we see, there's a lot of doors opening for queerness to be more universal when it comes to um, entertainment and especially for children's cartoons. I mean, we've seen a whole lot of that over the past few years. You know, uh, Steven Universe and The Owl House and What like, Kipo, we've seen a whole lot of these you know, children's cartoons that are featuring queer and, you know, some n- even non-binary like aspects of um, otherhood. Um, and not, you know, and focusing on joy, but also focusing on, you know, the struggle to uh, stick to oneself, to, to protect oneself and to look after others. And I feel like that's very important moving forward to have those stories for children. Especially children who don't get to see themselves at the center of, you know, some great adventure. Um, or children who, who could read Harry Potter and go, Oh, yeah, my uh, aunt and uncle are terrible to me too. I can kind of, kind of see myself here, but I'd like to actually allow them to see themselves there, you know, because a lot of us have backgrounds that aren't too great. We've seen a lot of things, especially as young queer youth. We see a lot of things, and it forces us to have to adhere to the world in a very specific way in order for us to navigate through it. And I'd like to speak to that experience. And a lot of people can't really get with that. They're like, no, kids shouldn't have to be dealing with I'm like, kids are dealing with this. So what now? Kids are dealing with this. How are we supposed to have a conversation with them? How are we supposed to uplift them, center them? If we're not, you know, acknowledging that they're doing work, these very trying times mm, that part that part what is your favorite character you've ever created oh i've got a new one but i haven't named her yet um but the the i think my previous favorite was of course uh, little nina the little black witch and i was hoping you'd talk to us about her <laughs> little troublemaking nina <laughs> Uh, she's a little black trans girl who goes to this um school in the woods that nobody knows about in a town that doesn't have a name. Um, and she's, of course, the oddball. She's a little trans girl. She's She doesn't have a family, but she doesn't remember if she ever did have a family. And that kind of, like, toys with her. Well, not toys with her. It kind of, like, pops up every once in a while, and she pushes it back down. Eventually that'll come to a head, but, um, usually she just goes her days being a nerd learning as much as she can about witchcraft and, you know, this world that has different pockets and different dimensions and different existences and, you know, why, why she can't, why she's not allowed to use magic in front of the, uh, the town denizens of the, uh, nameless town. And, um, She's always pushing the boundaries, and that leads her into a lot of shenanigans. Where do you see yourself in the Little Witch? Hmm. I see myself as a public nuisance, kind of a lot like her. Um, I'm always pushing the boundary, and as soon as someone says, well, that's typically frowned upon in our society, I kind of like smirk to myself because I'm like, ah, yes. This is going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be
0: fun. So speaking of nuisance and troublemaking, um, there are people in this world who would like to categorize you as that, but really when you disrupt, you are disrupting the actual nuisances and the the troublemakers. Mm -hmm. So you have a history, um, a really difficult history as an organizer and having a victim of state-sanctioned violence yourself. Can you talk to our listeners about your experience with the Black Pride Four and and really ultimately your
1: recovery in that moment? Well, the Black Pride Four happened in 2017, uh, where me and a group of Black, Brown, and other, mostly Black, Brown, and other um, queer and trans folks stood in the middle of the street during Stonewall's Pride Parade um, to bring awareness to police brutality and, you know, uh, of course, racism within our community and how a lot of these white gay organizations are celebrating when there's so much death happening around them and the only time they feel like really uplifting. Black and brown folk is after our deaths. So yeah, we sit in that street and ask them what about us? And it took them less than a minute before bike cop after bike cop after bike cop uh, came and forcibly tried to remove us, which led to people being body slammed on top of a pile of bikes and a cop breaking his own leg trying to like doing an illegal takedown of one of the Black Pride Four and body slamming people into the street and pepper spraying them and you know dog piling on top of them and dog piling on top of me and oh there was so much open skin I haven't been skinned up that much since I was learning to ride a bike and I was like my God what is this like <laughs> we stood in the street silently what is this mm. but yeah and I think it it painted a very clear picture of you know, how the community moved and why we were standing in that street when after we were all either arrested or shooed off the the pavement and being carted away that we were, you know, jeered at and people were cheering and laughing and, and one woman spit on me. And I was just like, you know, I really hope they're seeing this. I hope they're paying attention. Yeah, I hope they're paying attention. But, you know, history is often forgotten. Hello. Hello. And, and it's often
0: relegated to a thing of the past, right? So repeat for our listeners what year this was. 2017. 2017. So this is six years ago. Mm-hmm. And the scene that you were painting, the scene that anybody listening to this episode can Google and see for themselves is a scene that mimics something out of a past that so many US Americans would happily forget right so the era of civil rights the era of civil war these two spaces where we see the same tactics used to silence those who dissent against establishment so here we are in 2017 witnessing the very same tactics um, and, and if we even backtrack a little bit further. Right. So you were here in St. Louis during the Ferguson uprising. We saw this tactics used there. Right. Police dogs, riot gear, SWAT team, tear gas, media taking these moments of really joy. People protesting out of joy and love for black folks and wanting a space for black folks to be able to exist. And saying, you're rioters, you're looters, you deserve this kind of treatment, right? Um, It is hard being a descender. It is hard being someone who organizes and protests, no matter what era you do it in, because the establishment has not changed its tactics, right? Exactly. They have more ways to surveil us um, because of social media, because of smartphones, but the tactics remain the same, right? Intimidate, hurt, jail,
1: quiet, silence, dismiss. The media, then the media, like what they do to you after you are arrested and thrown in a men's prison, the things they say about you and the things they post about you. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's dangerous being misgendered and, you know, dead named by, you know, public media, all across newspapers and being reported on in the nightly news. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah.
0: So what did you do to take care of yourself to heal through
1: and around those moments so that you can
0: continue to do the amazing work that you're doing
1: today? Well, I had to shift my way of thinking. Um, I had to shift my way of thinking of what's important because trying to have a conversation with a whole bunch of people who will likely ignore you and happily do so. It sounds like a waste of energy. So I was trying to figure out other ways of doing this work and ways for it to be more sustainable, ways for it to bring about that hope and joy that we all crave. Mm. So I started moving in other ways, you know, um, working with trans funding organizations, which I had been doing, but I started doing more of that work and focusing on my art and uplifting black and brown trans folk. You know, I was I, I was dealing with it in a very unhealthy way in the beginning, you know, a lot of drinking. Um But. Then I moved to Saint Louis with my best friend Cypress Rain and um had a fantastic year. Yeah. So one of the
0: the tactics was really surrounding yourself with
1: community and folks who you felt loved by. Oh yes. Looking back on that year there were so many things that like really helped heal a lot of the hurt that I internalized while living in columbus ohio um you know like going with you to the grove or just laughing with you in the living room about some mess me and zach throwing boxes at each other in the middle of the night it was absolutely messy but absolutely fun i mean your neighbor's parties were lovely the kiddos were always a a gift, even when they were being a little monstrous. They were still a gift, <laughs> uh, and I think that like my breakup during that year too was a big joy as well. Like at the time, it wasn't, but looking back, it, it definitely was. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I
0: oftentimes we forget to celebrate one of the a title of a book that absolutely changed my 20-year-old mind was The Value in the Valley by Ayanna Van Zandt. And this book just talks about finding lessons and love and value in those dark moments. And I think so many of us forget that grief serves a purpose, right? And, and anytime there is change, there is grief. And when you are a body that defies establishment every day by sheerly existing, Every day you experience that change and that grief. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'd love for you to talk about some of the things that keep you steady. You know, we've talked about art. We've talked about joy. We've talked about being with people who we love. What are some other practices that keep you steady when change and grief seem to pop up all the time? sleep <laughs> okay that's in i'm laughing because I, I know Ripley very closely
1: and this baby don't be sleeping <laughs> i'll be up all night be waking up early yeah uh-huh but sleep i believe you so about the future of of
0: trans organizing if there were pieces of advice you could give to our listeners who do want to be involved.
1: What, what, what would that advice be? My advice would be, when you were growing up and you were in school and you knew that people didn't like you, but those people were very popular, you went out of your way to try and be friends with those people in order to be popular sometimes. Um, don't do that now. This government was not built for you. These systems were not built for you. You were not meant to thrive in them. Divest. Mm. Try and build your own. You might (laughs) (laughs) I was was
0: waiting for someone. I was like, no, that's it. That's it. Build your own. That's something that is so important to unpack. Um, That's a lesson that took me a really long time to learn. As someone who has been Attempting to change systems from within, I I have slowly and I, and I don't discredit any of my work. I don't think that it was for naught, um, but I do think that when we expend a lot of energy to change systems that were never designed for us, we find ourselves often burnt out, exploited, and and exhausted before those systems even think about changing. So I had this moment of reckoning. I just said, you know, I'm I'm putting a lot of effort into changing a system that wasn't built for me. What if I just build my own? And even, of course, the way my mind works, that took me down a whole lot of rabbit holes, right? I'm like, you know, (laughs) a university, a hospital, a whole country.
1: (laughs) An island. An island.
0: island. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Why about we're at it? Let's build a new brain. Let's build a new uh, everything. (laughs) But I, I love how your mind works. So I'll, I'll offer this this question. If you could build anything, right, in
1: this vein of build your own, what would you build? I talk about the valley all the time, but the valley is a metaphorical place. It would be brilliant if it were a physical one. Hmm. Yes. Neighborhoods, schools, you know, um... Companies filled with black and brown, trans folk, queer folk, other folk, just loving on one another, letting go of all of the things that we were taught were worthy while trying to exist in this world. Even though every time we went to an office, every time we went to school, every time we went to the hospital, we had to fit in a very specific box that we checked in order for everyone else to understand who we were, what we were, what we could offer, or what we needed. When a lot of it is, you know, based on outdated information obtained in a very dark and despicable way. Mm, mm, mm. To exist fully as an expansive being in a space that doesn't confine you. You know, I was just, I watched this video on Instagram the other day of this young girl was, she was talking about a snake. She bought a snake in college and, um, the snake was shedding but it never shed its eyeballs. And because snakes, of course, shed their eyeballs, so she took it to the vet. She had had the snake about five years. And the doctor asked, how old is the snake? Like two or three? And she goes, oh, no, the snake is five. And the doctor is like, well, the snake is too small to be five years old. And she started internalizing a lot of things. Like, oh, hold on now. I feed that snake, baby. I feed that snake. That that snake is worth well taking care of. Um, and he was like, Well, what size is the tank? And she's like, 20 gallons. And he's like, It needs to be at least 50. Mm. Because pythons grow depending on the size of their tank. And I'm like, What if pythons are supposed to grow without a tank? Could you imagine how large they'd be? Mm. And people are the same way. You're su- you surround yourself with people that remind you to stay in line. But that's that's very subconscious. That's very subconscious. you making that decision to surround yourself with people who remind you that if you want to survive in this world, this is what it needs to look like. This is what you need to give. This is what you need to offer. Nothing else, nothing more. Well, more work, less you. What What an appropriate metaphor. I remember
0: learning at some point in, as a kid and probably church that a similar lesson, if you put a if you raise a fish in a fishbowl, let's assume it's saltwater for the metaphor for co-purposes. <laughs> if you raise a fish in a saltwater fishbowl and you put that fish in the ocean, it will swim in the same space of its fishbowl. Because it's trying to stay in its space. Mm. Um so much like that that snake, that python, how many of us are trained to To stay in a space, you know, one of the one of the books I have a, a dream about writing is, "What if colonization and white supremacy and and you know world domination via capitalism never existed? Who could we be?" And I had to have a, a, a moment with myself because my my gut reaction was, "We would repeat some of those same systems because you've been taught to swim in the fishbowl." And, you know, what does it take for us to imagine new systems and new, new institutions, new worlds that are not reactions to those systems, but something wholly divested and wholly new? And so I've begun asking people, you know, if all oppression just ended tomorrow, what do you do with your time? Because so many people I know spend their lives fighting against oppression my entire career. Is fighting against oppression. But I think you, Ripley, you figured out a way to divest and start building something that, again, like we talked about earlier, is completely divested from the gaze of establishment. And so this isn't a question so much as just an expression of gratitude. Thank you for modeling, right? You're a possibility model for how we can choose to, to invest in ourselves and remove the fishbowls of our lives, right? Because most of us aren't just swimming in one fishbowl, right? Intersectionality. The, the 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 margins of the margins of the margins. We have multiple fishbowls surrounding us that distort our view of what is real and what is not, what is true and what is not about ourselves. You know, so thank you for being a possibility model and just showing, showing folks how to to create and live and love with self-determination. I just, I appreciate that. I really do.
1: Aww. That makes me feel all warm inside. <laughs> hey.
0: So for our audience, please share how they can find your work, how they can support your work, how they can support
1: the things that you support. Um, tell us how to find you. Well, I am on Instagram. Uh, there are clone accounts, so be wary. Uh, the underscore ripley is my instagram you can find me there i'm also on uh facebook still i know it's sad i'm still on facebook but i'm there (laughs) it's sad um every time i go back there i'm like ah this this is a sad space uh (laughs) but there's so many people that i still rock with that aren't on instagram on facebook so find me on facebook ripley bennett um Art and Short Stories by Ripley Marie Bennett is also one of my pages on uh, Facebook. Um, Yeah, those are are how you can reach out to me and support my work. Awesome. Offer offerings. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, And so for our listeners, too, in Disclosure, Ripley and I created an entire art exhibit together that absolutely celebrates uh, Black Trans and non binary joy completely divested from the, the establishment's gaze. Um, it is called Transfuturism. You can visit it at www.thejusticefleet.com. That's fleet as in a fleet of trucks. So T H E J U S T I C E F L E E T.com. Click on Exhibits and trans Futurism and there is a tool there that will walk you through a virtual exhibit, and you can see um, our work and what Black, trans, and non-binary joy look like for us. I want to thank our listeners deeply for for following us, for listening to us, for subscribing. Um, We will drop all of the um, links that Ripley has mentioned into the show notes so that you may access them easily. Um, and I hope you will keep tuning in and helping us build the critical future. Thank you for listening to the Critical Futures podcast. If you're feeling inspired and looking for more resources, please check out www.ihje.org podcast for show notes and links to resources and to subscribe.